Members of the Kansas legislature continue to shelter in their home districts. They hope to return at the end of April to wrap up the 2020 session. But we'll just have to wait and see. Meanwhile, coronavirus cases are still on the rise in Kansas. Epidemiologists would tell us that that the number of cases in, in this case, Kansas, but it's true in the United States as well, would double in number about every three days or maybe four days. To contain the spread of the virus, lots of communities remain in a kind of lockdown and many businesses remain shut down. That, it should come as no surprise, has triggered a staggering increase in the number of Kansans filing for unemployment benefits. We received 211,520 attempted calls. Those issues and a look at how political candidates are adjusting now that they can't campaign, at least in the way that we're used to. I'm Jim McLean, and this is Statehouse Blend, Kansas, a podcast from the Kansas News Service. Much of what we think of as normal life has been suspended in Kansas and across the nation. Lots of people are stuck in their homes, many, many businesses are closed, and politicians are off the campaign trail. No morning coffees to chat with voters, no glitzy fundraisers, no pressing of the flesh or kissing of babies. But the 2020 election hasn't been canceled. One way or the other, it will happen. So how are candidates adapting? We checked in with a guy running one of the marquee campaigns in Kansas to find out. My name is Eric Pauls. I am Dr. Roger Marshall's U.S. Senate campaign manager. And your, jo- your job just suddenly got a bit harder, didn't it? <laughs> uh, it, it certainly got a little more complicated. That would be accurate, yeah. Yeah, the campaign was just beginning to heat up. The candidates had just had their first debate. You had a news conference at which former Governor Jeff Collier endorsed Congressman Marshall, and then boom, the coronavirus hit. Uh, did that pretty much shut things down, at least in, in terms of regular campaigning? In terms of regular campaigning, yes. I, on one hand, as you mentioned, um, we're very fortunate to have had an early burst in fundraising, and Dr. Collier's endorsement and the endorsement by Senator Bob Dole. Mm-hmm. Um, so it puts us in a position where we can adjust. Um, but since the virus has really spread, and especially since it's come to the United States, Dr. Marshall's time has been spent entirely on dealing with this situation. So it's um, great to have somebody like him dealing with it, um, but it certainly complicates things from a campaign scheduling side. And when you say he's, his time has been spent dealing with the virus, what does that mean? A variety of things. So obviously right now um, the House is working through some legislation um, addressing the phase three part, which is about small businesses and individuals and the economic stimulus. But he being a doctor, a lot of his time has been spent both talking with folks who are concerned about maybe members of their families who are especially susceptible or themselves, but it's also been working with hospitals around Kansas. His phone has just been ringing off the hook by doctors who are you know, needing help connecting with the KDHE and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of been his own triage for a lot of folks here in Kansas. Marshall is a two-term Republican congressman whose district from west to east covers roughly two-thirds of the state. He's running for the U.S. Senate seat long held by Pat Roberts, who at 83 isn't running for re-election. Marshall's chief rival for the Republican nomination appears to be former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, though Kansas Senate President Susan Wagle and former Kansas City Chief Dave Lindstrom are also in the running. Back to the campaign, uh, Eric, what, what novel ways are you coming up with to connect with voters now that you can't be out on the, the stump, you know, pressing the flesh and that kind of stuff? Folks around Kansas know this is a real t- retail politics state, so door-to-door is really important on a campaign. But if we don't have these stay-at-home orders, or at least uh, other restrictions lifted, in the summer, 
we're obviously not going to be going door to door. And so that's going to really change how these campaigns look, where the money is allocated. So those decisions, like I said, I think these next couple of weeks are going to be really telling in terms of how long this is going to last. Um, and so we'll be making those decisions over these next couple of weeks. But for the time being, it's all virtual, all over the phone. Certainly, contingency plans are going to have to be made in the sense that uh, even if the August 4th primary uh, stays on the calendar, and we may not be in a situation where a lot of people feel comfortable going to their polling place, and so there's going to be more perhaps advanced voting, mail ballots, that kind of thing. And, and is your campaign planning for that? We right now have about a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Um, my hope is that over the next couple of weeks, we can narrow it down to kind of three or four possibilities. But yeah, we're going to be prepared for whatever that is going to require. Um, luckily, like I said, we we kind of got off the ground early. We got a good operation, a good infrastructure around the state, whether it's financial, grassroots, or otherwise. And so we're prepared for just about anything to come down the pike. And given the fact that you are, your campaign is leading in fundraising in terms of the Republican candidates on the Republican side. And I assume that's got a, got a little bit more difficult now that you're having to do all that virtually and so forth. But what advantage does that give you yeah. in the current climate to be uh, to have the bigger war chest? So it's certainly nice to have done a lot of our fundraising work already. Uh, having said that, we anticipate that um, once we get back to normal, we're going to hit the trail again. If not, though, we'll have the resource to resources to get up on air, to send people mail, to, to get people the resources they need to make their decision. Um, so we feel like we're in a strong position right now, but certainly we're, we're not letting up at all. So where does the race, where I guess, where did it stand when campaigning was in effect suspended? And where does it stand now? Is it still a two-person race between Congressman Marshall and former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach? Is that what your internal polling shows? It absolutely is. Internal polling, external polling, the external polling that is reliable, um, and even that which is a little more skewed all shows the same reality. This is a two-person race. Every additional candidate that gets in the race after Marshall and Kobach, not to begrudge any of them, they're good people, but any other camp candidate that gets into the race only serves to help Chris Kobach win the nomination. A lot has been made of the fact that uh, a Democrat has not won a race for a U.S. Senate seat in Kansas since the Great Depression, 1932 to be exact, when uh, Franklin Roosevelt's uh, coattails proved to be important. Uh, so is it possible, given the political shifts that are happening uh, in the state in Johnson County and in other places, is it possible that whoever comes out of the Republican primary is going to have a more competitive race on their hands this year than, than maybe they would have had in cycles past? We're going to take every opponent seriously. Having said that, our polling and also history would be on the side of if Roger Marshall is the Republican nominee, he will be the next senator from the state of Kansas. Um, we also know that if Roger Marshall isn't the Republican nominee, suddenly that seat is a lot more competitive. Eric Pauls, the manager of Congressman Roger Marshall's campaign for the U.S. Senate. For context, we should say that Marshall and some other Republicans are concerned about holding a seat that Republicans have locked down for almost 90 years if Kobach is the nominee. That's because Kobach lost the 2018 governor's race to Democrat Laura Kelly. Kobach dismisses the concerns about his electability. He says the fact that he won two terms as Secretary of State shows that he's capable of winning again. The likely Democratic nominee is Barbara Bollier. She's a state senator from Johnson County, and she's a former moderate Republican who switched parties in 2018. 
She's also resorting to virtual campaigning, recently conducting a telephone town hall with Johnson County voters. I, I just want you all to know how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen in, how concerned I am for us as a society, as people and humanity. Uh, we're in this together. It's a worldwide situation. We'll be talking a lot more about the U.S. Senate race in weeks and months to come. Economists knew it was going to be bad, but few predicted just how big the surge in Americans filing for unemployment benefits would be. A jaw-dropping 3,283,000 mm. jobless claims were filed last week. Three million. That's nationally, and it's the most ever. The sudden spike in claims was just as dramatic in Kansas, going from about 1,800 on March 14th to nearly 24,000 the following week. That's approaching a 2,000% increase over this time last year. The jump in claims was triggered by a series of stay-at-home orders issued by local public health departments, orders that shut down non-essential businesses and put tens of thousands of Kansans out of work. Hospitality workers were hit particularly hard. Chuck Magrill's Free State Brewing Company in Lawrence was one of scores of restaurants forced to close their doors. We have no idea what the duration of this is going to be. We had a teleconference call with all of our staff, making sure they understood what was available in the provisions with unemployment. The State Department of Commerce is offering to help owners of bars, restaurants, and other hospitality businesses. Low-interest loans, says Governor Laura Kelly, to help them cover expenses while they're shut down. This new resource will provide speedy assistance to hospitality businesses whose operations are being disrupted now and who need support now. Using her emergency powers, Kelly also ordered unemployment benefits extended from 16 to 26 weeks. Because the state's unemployment rate had been so low for so long, hovering just above 3%, the Kansas Department of Labor wasn't ready to handle the surge. After all, the state had been dealing with a worker shortage. We're going from low claims to historically high claims volumes literally overnight. That's Kansas Labor Secretary Delia Garcia. She says the agency is overwhelmed by calls from displaced workers. I can uh, share with you sort of um, a couple numbers that we got last night. I can give you a snapshot Please of what do. we're mm-hmm. dealing with here. So yesterday, between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., we received 211,520 attempted calls. Most of those, Garcia says, were repeat calls from people who hung up and called back multiple times rather than wait for hours on hold. That 211,000 does not reflect that's how many people are unemployed. It reflects that's how many people are calling. Garcia says the agency has doubled its call center staff to reduce wait times, but she's encouraging anyone who can file online to do so to speed the processing of claims. That generally takes a week to 10 days. The agency was prepared in at least one important way. Garcia says there's almost a billion dollars in the state's unemployment insurance trust fund. That's enough, she says, to pay out claims for the better part of the coming year, even if each month matched the peak of the 2008 recession. We did the, uh, a stress test. We measured at the highest point, which was the $83 million a month, against what we currently have, and that would get us through to about February 2021. Tish Cobb is one of what will likely be a record number of Kansans seeking benefits. She owns a hair salon in Lawrence that's been shut down. Will we be able to stay afloat for 30 days? Yes, but if it goes longer, it's going to be really, really difficult. Cobb filed for unemployment online using a special portal reserved for those affected by the coronavirus. She's not sure she'll qualify because she's the sole employee of a company she owns. 
but Comp says a check from the state would help cover at least some of her losses at a time when her husband's business is also suffering. He had to take a 20% pay cut. Luckily, it's only 20% and not laid off. But yeah, it will be very, very difficult. We are definitely going to have to watch our pennies. Cobb's husband is another example of the seismic waves that the COVID-19 outbreak is sending through the Kansas economy. He sells uniforms and sports equipment to high schools and colleges, schools that have been shuttered, and colleges that have canceled all spring sports in an effort to check the spread of the virus. Despite the uncertainty, Cobb says she supports the public health measures that forced the closure of her business. Absolutely. You know, at first I was I was upset thinking, you know, we're much more sanitary than grocery stores. But in reality, everybody can live without their hair cut or colored, even though it does help with self-esteem and everything else. But, you know, if I am part of the solution in getting life back on track, I'm willing to do my part for 30 days. Daniel Cottle isn't a newsmaker. He's a journalist in training. As such, he's finishing up an internship with the Kansas News Service. For the past several months, he's been a valuable member of our Statehouse team. Well, I am originally from North Carolina, but I moved to Wichita in 2013. Um, I graduated high school here and then um, started attending Wichita State in 2017. I'm studying political science and journalism, and I first got my hand in journalism at the Sunflower, which is Wichita State's student newspaper. Um, I served as news editor there last semester, and when one of my political science professors approached me about potentially working in Topeka or Washington, D.C., perhaps for a congressional office, I asked him about the idea of pursuing something related to journalism because um, that's the field that I'm most interested in. I'm not sure how representative you are of your generation because you were both interested in political science and journalism, So, right. but we'll just set that aside for the moment. But you, you were interested in those things, and you wanted to come up to Topeka, and you, you wanted to help uh, provide coverage of the legislature. So what, what were you thinking when you came up as to what that was going to be like? What did you know about the legislature before you showed up? It was sort of mysterious to me coming into it. I didn't exactly know what to expect. I was, you know... Obviously, there's a little bit of nerves about the idea of, you know, trying to talk to legislators and yeah. people high up in government. But, um, yeah, I think I think for the most part, I had a, sort of a vague understanding of some of the big issues. But I was really looking forward to the opportunity to kind of sink my teeth into some of the other issues that I maybe hadn't heard about and mm-hmm. sort of broaden my understanding of what's going on here in Topeka. Uh, does any particular issue stand out to you? Maybe you didn't know that much about when you got here, but you had to cover it and, and you leave with a different perspective on something or at least, you know, more in-depth knowledge about something, Was it whether it be Medicaid expansion. You've mentioned higher education yeah. several times. So to kind of break away from the bigger topics that we've touched on and that everybody's been focused on this session, um, I, I did a story about a bill um, to alleviate the suspended license problem in Kansas. And that was something I had no idea was such an issue, but about one in 10 Kansas drivers has a suspended license and that's a significantly high rate. Um, so to learn about that was kind of interesting because there were several different bills related to that this mm-hmm. session. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that they passed ultimately is aimed at kind of alleviating some of the costs associated with getting your license back. But there was even a proposal to completely eliminate the practice of suspending licenses for unpaid tickets or fines, mm-hmm. which is a pretty common, um, which is pretty much the most common way that people get their license suspended. Yeah, and that is an interesting issue because there are a lot of things uh, kind of entwined with that issue in the sense that 
let's say you get your driver's license suspended for, as you say, you get a bunch of parking tickets or something that you, maybe you're low income, you can't afford to pay, so your driver's license gets suspended. Then you can't, that affects your ability to go to work. It affects your ability to have insurance. I mean, there's a ripple effect to that, that, you know, once somebody kind of starts falling down that hole, it, it's really hard to climb out of it. Yeah, so it was kind of a discussion about, well, are our laws punitive or do they encourage people to actually, um, you know, cooperate with the law? A lot of times people would feel that the current system is just overly punitive and might actually encourage people to just say, you know, to heck with it, I'm going to keep driving with a suspended license because I can't afford to pay all these fines off. Mm-hmm. And so overall, how did you enjoy the experience? Oh, yeah, it was it was a great learning experience. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of people my age probably wouldn't find it as fun, I, fun as I did. But uh-huh. um, just being able to really sink my teeth into certain issues and hear perspectives from different people and um, also just grow my skills as a reporter, being able to, you know, interview people for quick turn spots. Yeah, it was a busy session and we counted on you. You got sent to a lot of news conferences and you were expected to produce something pretty quickly, whether it had to do, you know, a, a gubernatorial news conference or, or one held by uh, the leadership in one chamber or the other. And then uh, you got sent to a lot of those early uh, briefings on the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so I think it was Sunday last week. I had just come back from Wichita, which is where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And um, I get a call from my editor at like 4 p.m. and she's like, hey, Governor Kelly's having a news conference at 6 p.m. tonight. You think you can make it? It's about coronavirus. And so I'm like, okay, sure. And, you know, I think I've kind of had a can-do attitude about things and just try not to turn down any opportunity I can to cover something or, you know, get a byline. Yeah, you, your stage, at your stage of the career, I mean, that's you got to have that can-do yeah. attitude. you got to be willing to just uh, – because you're kind of uh, you're, you're kind of low person than total pole when there's something to be done on the weekend and nobody else wants to do it. That's you, right? Right. You have to. Right. Can't say no. Right. <laughs> And so uh, do you really still, after doing this, do you still think you want to make a career of journalism? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think this has, you know, just made me appreciate the industry a lot more and it has grown my interest even more than, than, I, than I was coming into it. Um, I'll be applying for editor-in-chief at the Sunflower soon, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can serve in that position next year. And that's the student paper at Wichita State again, right? Right, that's the student and newspaper. So you're announcing your candidacy <laughs> on, on the State House Blend podcast. <laughs> yes, right? I'm announcing it. <laughs> All of us here at the Kansas News Service wish Daniel luck. He'll make a fine editor of the Sunflower. That's it for this week. Another one that's tested the patience and resolve of Kansans and people all over the world as we struggle together to check the spread of the coronavirus. We'll be monitoring developments and we'll be back if and when lawmakers think it's safe to return to the Statehouse. So take care of yourselves and monitor your podcast feeds. In the meantime, continue to rely on your favorite public radio station and the coverage on our website, ksnewsservice.org, to stay informed. This is Statehouse Blend, Kansas. In Topeka, I'm Jim McLean. Statehouse Blend Kansas is a production of the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations across the state. Our theme music was provided by Nameless Dancers. Follow the Kansas News Service at ksnewsservice.org and subscribe to Statehouse Blend wherever you get your podcasts.